We're going to talk about engaging influencers. Because when Jesus talked about salt and light, salt and light influence. You heard that on the DVD. And here is a passage of Scripture out of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now the first thing I want you to notice about this passage is that Jesus is not using salt and light as analogies. Last week, we made it very clear that he used fishing as an analogy. And we talked about fishing for people as an analogy. Here's what I want you to notice, and maybe you've never noticed this before. He did not say, you are like salt. Very important to notice. He did not say, you are like light. Jesus said, you are salt, and you are light. Now, how in the world could he make that statement? Please remember that when you got saved, you became a new creation. And who created you? Who created you new? This is not a difficult question. (laughs) Who created you? God, Jesus. And how did he create you? According to this, he created you salt and light. And so let's talk about what that means, all right? So there's only two points this week. Number one, we are salt. We are salt. We're not like salt. We are salt. Why would Jesus say that we are salt? Well, many people don't realize that salt's all through the Bible. As a matter of fact, they were to season every sacrifice with salt. They were to never, the children of Israel were to never offer a sacrifice without salt. And also, there was a covenant of salt in the Bible. I asked several people this week, tell me about the covenant of salt. What do you know about the covenant of salt? And the only people that could tell me were Jeff and Peter because they're Jews. <laughs> None of the Gentiles knew anything about a covenant of salt. I didn't know anything about it either. I didn't even know it was in the Bible until I read it this week. Here's what a covenant of salt is. Salt preserves. Salt makes things last. When God speaks of a covenant of salt, He is speaking of eternity. He's speaking of an eternal covenant. Here's what He says. I made a covenant of salt with the house of David. In other words, I made an eternal covenant with the house of David. It's never going to go away. It's going to be preserved for all eternity. So one of the things about salt is it preserves. I want you to understand that we are living in a dead society. We are living among dead people, spiritually dead. Ephesians says, for before we were saved, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The only thing that is preserving our society is us. That's it. Our society would die if it weren't for believers. We are the salt of the earth. We are preserving dead people so that they could hear the gospel and be saved. It is extremely important that we function as salt, as the Lord said that we should. Salt speaks of preserving. Salt speaks of uh, an eternal covenant. Debbie and I were talking about this this week. I was sharing it with her, and she said, maybe that's why you and I like salt so much, because we're an eternal covenant together. <laughs> all the ladies, ah, all the men, who cares? Go on with the message. <laughs> if we stop speaking up, 
Here's what I want you to understand. If we stop being salt, our society's doomed. We're the only ones that are preserving it. Because the life of Jesus is in us. And we have to allow the life of Jesus to be lived through us. Another thing about salt is taste. It causes things to taste better. You heard me say in the, in the DVD there that the gospel is the steak. We're not the main course. We are only the spice. And what God does is He uses us to allow us to help people to, what. here's what Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we're supposed to do. People are supposed to get around us and, and say, what is that? Taste that I'm tasting. And they want to taste God. When I, uh, when I first started traveling overseas, I um, got dehydrated a lot. And I realized, one is, I wasn't drinking much water. You get dehydrated from long, uh, from flying, from the altitude. But also, because of the food, I was putting a lot of salt on the food. I don't know how many of you have eaten overseas, and they bring you, they get real excited. They say, oh, look, God has provided monkey brains, you know. And, oh, praise the Lord, you know. And I just, could you pass the salt, please, you know. But salt has that way of drying things out, preserving, but it also makes things taste good. We need to understand something. We are giving the world the only taste of God they're getting. Now, here's what I want to know. If a person gets around you, how would they say God tastes? <laughs> Loving, kind, compassionate, or angry, legalistic? Judgmental, critical. What does God taste like? See, we're the ones that people get around and they say, I would like more. I'd like some more of what I'm tasting right now. Now, Jesus made this statement. He said, if salt loses its flavor, is what New King James says. Old King James says savor. What it really means is influence. That's what salt does. It influences. If salt loses its influence, its ability to influence, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out. How could it lose its influence? Well, there's a real interesting word here when it says if salt loses its flavor. It's a Greek word. It's only in the Bible four times, the New Testament, obviously. It's only in there four times. Two times it's talking about this salt thing, and it's the same passage. It's just in Matthew and Luke. But the other two times, it's translated literally. And let me tell you what the literal Greek word here means. Now, listen to me carefully. If salt loses its flavor, those three English words are one Greek word. And here's what the literal Greek definition means of that word. Becomes foolish. That's literally what it means. As a matter of fact, let me show you where else it is in the New Testament. We'll get to John 8 in a minute. But look at this scripture, Romans 1, verse 21. Because although they knew God... Now, let me ask you something. Do these people know God? Yes, because it says, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. Here's the Greek word. They became fools. Now, let's, let's marry this with the passage on salt. If salt loses its influence... Here's what happened. These people, because they knew God, but they didn't glorify Him as God. They didn't honor Him. They didn't live for Him. They did not live for God. Here's what happened. They lost their influence in the world. They became foolish. How many times have we heard of a, a, a Christian leader doing something foolish and losing his influence? Or even just a believer that may not be a Christian leader, but a believer in your office who does something foolish, and all of a sudden his witness goes out the window. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying, you're salt, but if you do something foolish, you're going to lose your influence. You're not going to be good for anything. You're not going to be able to help anybody anymore until you get restored. I do believe that God can restore us. Someone was saying a while back, uh, do you think there's any hope for so-and-so, speaking of a Christian leader, being restored? He said, do you, they asked me this, do you think there's any hope for so-and-so? And I said, is he still breathing? Because <laughs> if he's breathing, there's hope. If he'll turn to God. At least I hope there is. Don't be self-righteous. <laughs> now, let me tell you how salt loses its flavor in the natural. And I'm talking about now salt that, that is, is, is mined from the ground. Salt is, is actually right next to rock. And the water and the rock together is what keeps salt pure. Now, there's also earthly elements involved in the salt. But as long as the salt stays close to the rock. Now, hopefully you're seeing the analogy here. Because Jesus is the rock, the water is the word of God. As long as salt stays close to the rock, the water will purify it. But if it gets away from the rock, the earthly elements will cause it to be no good. And when it's no good, that's how it loses its effectiveness. When it's no good, it becomes so bad that it will kill anything it comes in contact with. This is very important. That's the reason they put it in the street. They didn't want it to be in their field because they put it in their field. It actually ruined the soil so that the soil could never produce again. So they put it in the street because it would keep grass from growing in the street. It was better than Roundup. <laughs> if you want to kill something, put bad salt on it and it'll kill it. And that's what we don't seem to understand. Now listen, think about the analogy of this. Here's what Jesus said. You're salt. You're salt. But if you don't stay close to the rock... And allow the water to continue to purify you. Not only are you not going to be able to help anybody, you're going to hurt people for the kingdom. You're not only going to cause something good to happen, you're going to cause bad things to happen in people's lives. So it's very important that we stay close to the rock. There's no question that you're salt. You, you are salt. If you're a believer, you're salt. Here's my question for you. Are you bad salt or good salt? Are you giving people a good taste of God or a bad taste of God? A few years ago, I uh, bought a car from a car salesman, and we just had a great time talking, talking about life and hunting and fishing and fast cars and all sorts of stuff, and just great time. And toward the end of the transaction, he said to me, hey, what do you do? And uh, I said, I'm a pastor. He said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, no, I'm, I'm a pastor. He said, you're not like any pastor I've ever met in my life. And I said, thank you. <laughs> That's a compliment. I appreciate that. And so then I said to him, I felt like the Lord wanted me to win this guy the Lord. So I said, hey, why don't we go to lunch sometime? He said, I'd like that. We started going to lunch and talking, and finally his story came out. Here was his story. Never been to church. Grew up very poor. Both of his parents were deaf. He's, he wasn't deaf, but both parents were deaf. Nobody ever invited his family to church. And then one day at school, he met a, a, a boy that was the pastor's son of a church who was a very mischievous person. And they got to be friends, and he started going to church with this pastor's son. And the pastor's son told him one thing they could do one night, break into one of the rooms at the church and, and, and uh, do some damage to it. And they did. Well, when they found out it was the pastor's son, this boy, the pastor, didn't want his son to look like he was bad. So he called this boy up in front of the whole church and told the church what he had done and how he had been a bad influence on his son and kicked him out of the church in front of everyone. It's the only time he'd ever been to church. And I said to him, I said, well, first of all, I want to tell you something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. And second thing I want to tell you is that pastor was not a good pastor. 
He was a bad pastor. And so the Lord gave me this illustration. I said to him, does it bother you when people joke about car salesmen? He said, yeah, it does. I said, why? He said, because I try to be a good car salesman. I said, are there bad car salesmen? He said, yeah. I said, they're bad pastors. And it clicked with him. He never thought about that. I said, pastors are human. They're bad pastors. And I said, you met a bad pastor. And then I said to him, do you like me? He said, yeah, I do. I said, you want to know why? Because I'm a good pastor. Not a bad one. I said, I like you too, because you're a good car salesman. And in a couple more weeks, he accepted Christ. You want to know why? Because he met good salt. You're salt. I'm just trying to get you to be good salt. And let people taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, here's the second thing Jesus said. We are light. We are salt, and we are light. Now, when I first read this, you are the light of the world. That's what Matthew 5 says. You are the light of the world. I, I had a conflict within me. Because all through the Gospels, Jesus said he was the light of the world. If you remember, especially in John, he says it many times in John, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. All right, here in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Well, which is it? Well, go to John 8 and let's read these scriptures and you'll see how clearly Jesus is the light of the world and we are the light of the world. John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Again, he's already said it. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have or have within him the light of life. Now, flip over to John 9 and look at verse 5. John chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you see the inference here? (laughs) When I leave, I won't be the light of the world anymore. But you will. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now, flip over to John 12. Maybe two pages there, or three. John 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. And look at verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Or let me say another way, partakers of the light. Or have the light live in you. Become part of the light. Okay, so how could Jesus say that we're the light when he said, I'm the light of the world? Because he said real clearly, I'm the light of the world as long as I'm on the earth. But I'm going to be leaving pretty soon. And when I leave, guess who's going to be the light? See, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Messiah. We are Jesus' representatives on this earth. So the light that's on the earth right now is Him. Now, but you got to understand, but it's Him through us. Now, please hear me. We are not the source of the light. And we don't have to produce the light. Relax. You don't have to produce light. You just have to not put it under a basket. That's the only requirement He gives us. Just don't hide the light. And you've got to make a conscious effort, by the way, to hide light. You've got to put it under a basket. Light is a dominating force. Light will overcome darkness easily. Just go outside early tomorrow morning and watch what happens to all the darkness when the sun comes up. Darkness leaves. Walk in a room tonight that's dark, flip a light switch on, and if, if everything's working right, watch what happens as soon as the light comes on, darkness goes. So light's going to take care of darkness. All we have to do is let Him shine. But you need to understand, very important, this is very important that we understand this. 
We are the only light that's in the world right now. Jesus is not on this earth physically anymore. He's in us. So if there's any light on the earth, it's going to be if we let it shine. If the world gets darker and darker, it will be the church's fault. If the world gets brighter and brighter, it will be because we don't put the light under a basket. Are y'all, are y'all following me? This is very important for understand. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. In other words, if there's going to be any light in the world, it's going to be because you allow the light to shine. I was um, prophesying over a lady one time, like last Sunday night when we had the prophetic meeting. And I was in a church, and she and her husband had a, a conversation on the way to church. And he said, how, how do you like your, your new job? She'd been transferred from one department to another department in, in her company. And she said, well, I really don't understand why God put me there. Because in the other department, there were a lot of believers, and there's not one believer in this new department. She said, matter of fact, it's, it's just dark. She said, it's a dark place, and I don't understand why God put me in a dark place. So they come up and they kneel down, and I get this word, and I walk up and I said, this is the word I got. You know, I didn't know anything about their conversation, but I walk up and I said to him, you've been asking God why he put you in such a dark place. And you even said to your husband, I don't know why God put me in such a dark place. You know, and they're kind of smiling, looking at each other. And I said to him, and I'm speaking for the Lord, I said, I'm going to answer, the Lord is going to answer tonight why He put you in such a dark place, or why I put you, I was speaking first person, I'm going to tell you why I put you in such a dark place. Listen carefully. Because it's a dark place. That's why I put you there. I looked down and I saw all these lights in this department, and I looked at this department, and there were no lights. And so I transferred a light from this department to this department because I needed a light there because it was a dark place. Do you know why you work where you work? I'm going to tell you why. Not so God can provide for you, because He can send ravens to provide for you. You work there because it's a dark place, and God needs a light there. Do you know why you live in the neighborhood you live in, in the house that you prayed that God would give you? (laughs) Because the people around you are on their way to hell. I believe God blesses us, yes, because He loves us. But I believe He has a twofold purpose. In the same way good parents have a twofold purpose in blessing their children, we do it because we love them, but we also do it because we, have a, we want to see them fulfill the destiny and reach something and do something with their lives. In the same way, listen to me, God put you in the house you're in because He needed a light in that neighborhood. And here's the sad thing. We drive home with the light in our car with our tinted windows rolled up. We push the button, pull into our garage, close the door, and go inside and never let the light out. And when we go outside and talk to our neighbors, we make sure they don't see the light. Because they might think we're weird. They might think we're different if we ever let them see the light. Listen to me. When are we going to let the light out? When are we going to let the light that's in our hearts out? Think about this. When are we going to let the light that's in this building out? The world is going to get darker and darker unless we let the light out. We've got to let the light out. We've We've got to vote our conscience. We've got to serve on school boards. We've got to serve on city councils. We've got to get involved in the community. We've got to do everything we can to get the light out. 
This uh, last week, we went before the city council and they approved our um, our project across the street there. But one of the city council people voted against us. And I remember thinking, how come we have no gateway members on the city council? How come we, and we do have some believers on the city council, but not just our city, but every city. Why don't we get involved in the community and let the light shine? If we don't let our light shine, the world is going to go to hell. You need to know that. We are the light of the world. And we are determining whether the world is bright or whether the world is getting darker. We're the ones that are determining it right now. Because Jesus said, you're the light. Here's an incredible statement. Light and salt are influence. God gives us influence, so we'll influence. And most of us don't even use the influence God gives us. We're talking about the house. How many of you have moved to a new house in the last five to seven years? Can I see your hand? Look at all that. Did you pray about it? Did you ask God, please, God, let us have this house, please, please, please? Okay. What have you done for the kingdom in that neighborhood? Is your light under a basket or not? Remember, in a few weeks now, we're going to start sharing testimonies. We're going to have two more weeks after this week still talking about real, but then we're going to go into real stories. And I'm going to share my testimony one week, James Robinson one week, Jimmy Evans one week, Clark Witten. All going to share testimony. And what we're hoping is for people to get saved. But no one will get saved if we don't bring them. Right? So we got to bring them. And, and by the way, just to let you know, you heard my testimony a year ago. You're going to have to sit through it again. <laughs> because I'm not sharing it for you. I'm sharing it. I'm going to leave the 99 that weekend. I'm going to go after the one to try to get them saved. Of course, several people have come up and said, will you share the banana split boat story again this year? You know, about how hurt I was. And yes, it's a hurtful story, but I'll share it. But we're going to try to get people saved. But the only way we're going to do it is if we become light and salt. And let me tell you something about the difference between salt and light, by the way. They're both an influence, but salt is an internal influence and light is an external influence. Salt is a covert influence. And light is a very overt influence. Uh, another way to say it is salt is a subtle influence. Light is an obvious influence. And let me tell you what I, what I mean by that. Don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to be completely opposite of darkness as a believer. Jesus was. And by the way, nobody ever, sinners didn't run away from Jesus. They ran to Jesus. You want to know why? Because he never had the holier-than-thou attitude, although he was. I don't know if you ever thought about that. He was the only one that ever lived that was holier than thou. But he never had the holier than thou attitude. Don't be afraid to be opposite of darkness. Don't be afraid to be at light at the office party. Don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. A few years ago, a, a minister and I, we were both in vocational ministry. We were witnessing this guy. And uh, we were on like a retreat. And this guy was from another place in the campsite there. And there was a layman there that was teaching us about deliverance. And we didn't know much about deliverance. And so here are two full-time vocational ministers. For 30 minutes, we've been trying to win this guy to Jesus. And, and the layman, who'd been teaching us about demons and deliverance and all, walked up in the middle of our conversation. And the, the, we're witnessing to him. And this guy said, well, I, I would like to. This is what he said to us. I'd like to accept Jesus, but he said, something's holding me back. 
And I don't know what it is. He said, I'd like to, but he said, something is just stopping me. And this layman that walked up said, it's demons. (laughs) And you know, this minister and I, we thought, no, you don't tell a lost person about demons. You don't talk about demons till they've been saved two or three years. You know, you don't, you just can't spring demons on people like that. And this, this layman, he just kept on. He says, it's demons. He said, they talk to you all the time. They're talking to you right now. He said, they tell you to look at other women. He said, they tell you to, uh, uh, you know, the world be better off without you. He said, you've probably been driving down the road and the demon tell you to run into a concrete pillar. Ever, ever happened to you? The guy said, yeah, it has happened to me. He said, that's demons. He said, and they're talking to you right now and they're telling you not to listen to me and they're telling you not to give your life to Jesus. But he said, who are you going to listen to? He said, you want to get saved? The guy said, yes. <laughs> just like that. And later this other minister said to me, he said, you know, I'm just going to quit the ministry. I can't even win someone to Jesus. I don't, you, know. <laughs> you, you know what this layman was doing? He wasn't afraid to be light. And he wasn't afraid to expose darkness. So don't be afraid. We've got to allow God to use us and to be light. Let me tell you one more story about it's okay to be opposite. And for some people even think you're a little weird. A few years ago, I was on a ski trip, snow skiing trip, with a whole bunch of guys. The ladies didn't go. And I was trying to work with this guy that was just learning to ski. And the guys had gone on up, and I'd gone with them on some of the other runs. And finally, I said, I'm just going to help this guy. He'd been on the bunny slope, you know, all day and, and, and had failed the bunny slope. All the kids had, had been promoted, and he was still there. And so I thought I'd go try to help him. And so I said, let's, let's go do a green slope, and I'll help you. You know, it's the easiest one. It's a real easy one. And uh, we, literally, he, he fell in the line to get on the ski lift, and it was like the domino thing. He knocked everybody down in the line. <laughs> he finally got back up, and we got right up to the chair, and when we got right up to the chair, he fell again. But I was already there, and then this lady just skied up and got on the chair with me. And so I said, I'll, I'll meet you at the top. Well, we start going up, and she starts uh, talking inappropriately to me. And she starts talking about meeting me later and some things like this. And so I said to her, I said, I'm not interested. I'm married. And she said, well, I'm married too. And then I thought, you know, I need to bring the Lord in this conversation. And, I, and so I just said what came to my mind. I said, well, I'm married to two people. <laughs> and uh, she, she scooted over a little, you know. And, uh, she said, excuse me? I said, yeah. I said, I'm married to a woman and a man. (laughs) (laughs) She scooted over a little more, you know. I said, I'm married to a wonderful woman named Debbie, and I'm married to a wonderful man named Jesus. And I said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. And I decided, you know, she's the one that had the wrong intentions and scooted up there beside me, and it's 50 feet to the ground, so, lady, you're about to get both barrels. You, you can't get off the lift, so you're getting it, you know. So I gave it to her. Boy, I mean, I just, the whole way up, and uh, she, I'd never seen anybody get off a ski lift that fast and take off. Now, here's my point. I don't mind being different because I'm, I planted the seed. She might be saved now. I don't know. But we've got to be light. If we're afraid to let the light shine, the world is going to go to hell. You are salt. You're not like salt. You are salt. We're the only thing that's preserving our society from destruction. And we're light. And we're the only thing that's keeping our world from going in total darkness. Let your light so shine before men.